Hey, it's Steve and welcome to Share, a podcast that sets out to do just that. From stories and reflections to ideas and concepts, each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life. The simple fact I've discovered is when we share, we empower, not just ourselves, but each other. Are you planning your next holiday? Let the team at Mind and Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and well-being, the team at Mind and Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionising the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So you ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. You're going to have to hold on to your seats for this week's episode as I catch up with a larger-than-life legend, one that from the moment he was born had the cards well and truly stacked against him. Abandoned by his biological parents, he was adopted by two amazing human beings, both of which steered him in the right direction and laid the platform for him to achieve anything he put his mind to. They didn't just help him through reality, they taught and inspired him to dream. As a former pro basketballer, he's had to overcome even more challenges and rejection throughout his life. But his resilience, courage and sheer determination has seen him become a motivational speaker, a coach and author who shares his inspiring story, the concept and ideas along with the insights into what it takes not to only discover your why, but how you can be the very best you can be. He's focused on living his best life and helping you live yours. He's discovering living and loving life after 60 and if all that doesn't get you energised and excited, just hold on because this interview with Eric Bailey will motivate you like no one ever has before. Eric, welcome to Share. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to uh, spending some time with you. I've seen all of your work. Obviously, I know your passion for what you do. It's an honor and a privilege to be hanging out with you today, Steve. Uh, mate, the, the feeling is mutual. I get to spend an hour with Eric Bailey. Oh, well, you know, uh, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes not so good, but all good today. Now, Eric, you've had an amazing life. You've got lots of stories, I'm sure, but I'd love you to just give a bit of a snapshot of your journey to today. Okay. So originally born in, in South Central Los Angeles in 1960. I know I don't look like I'm 63 this year, but yeah, that, that, that's the way it rolls. And on birth, I was diagnosed with a bone disease, hole in my lung, nerve damage, eye damage. And my biological parents decided that they did not want to invest the time, the energy into helping me to be the best version of myself. So for that reason alone, they basically gave up on me and I ended up in foster care. And I was adopted by two individuals who couldn't have children and both were over the age of 45. And they walked into the facility and saw the child that was damaged the most, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And for whatever reason, decided that you're the one that we're going to uh, adopt and bring into our world and coach you up and mentor you and help you design a future, create something for yourself. And for the first 14 years of my life, I kept asking them, why, 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 why me, why me, why me? And at age 15, my dad sat me down. He said, you've been asking this question for a long time, and I'm going to tell you. And he says, because we see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And one day, 
you're going to be able to do the same thing for other people. It might not be children that you adopt, but it just could be someone who's looking for a mentor and a leader and following someone who knows what it's like to be disenfranchised, know, know what it's like to be an outsider, uh, you know, looking in and you might be able to inspire them. And so I took on that path with professional basketball. I took on that path in coaching and mentoring and speaking as a father, as a grandfather. And now, as you know, I'm now trying to inspire people, particularly men over 60, to look after their health and wellness. So I guess you could say, as I hit the fourth quarter of my life, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the home stretch and I want to go out swinging. I want to go out making sure that I'm making a difference and I'm giving everything I can to empower and impactfully give other people a platform to uh, discover themselves and do something great in life. Yeah. You've got this great knack. You bring energy to a room, Eric, every time, whether it's at the gym, whenever I see you, you, you've got this energy that you bring to the room, this presence, and it always energizes me if I'm not feeling quite right. And I see you, it's like, hey, brother, how you going? You know, and it's like, hey, whoo, you immediately pep me up. And tell me, does that come from your basketball days? Well, no, actually, it doesn't come from basketball. Like I had this before and I guess it came out of necessity. So we lived in, in South Central Los Angeles and in, and in the 70s, I don't know, you're way too young to, re- to remember this, uh, but in the 70s, there was a there was a gas, a gas strike. There was a water strike. There was earthquake all roughly in the same area. And there was a there was a lot of layoffs in our area. And my dad um, had got laid off and he said to me, son. I, I, you know, I, it's going to be tough for a while. And I said, you know what? Well, I said, what can I do? I, got, I think I was about 10 or 11. I said, what can I do to help the situation? And he said, son, just just make life easy for us around the house. You know, if your mama asks you to do something or if you see something needs to be done, he said, just be proactive. Don't don't wait. And I was like, OK, dad. So I was sitting on the porch one day and I thought proactive. I know what that means. It, it means it means just doing something. So I decided I would just walk around the streets of where I live and ask people if they needed their lawns mowed, you know, and, and weeds pulled out of the ground. And, and I had to do it with like a sense of urgency. I was like, hey, listen, um, you know, I'm, I'm Eric. I live down the road and I, I saw that your, your grass is, is, is wild. Can I help out? Oh, so we'll, we'll give you 25 cents. And so I had my first part-time job. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. I need, to, I need to have more people working for me. So I got some of my friends and said, listen, here's what we're going to do. You, you take that block, you take that. So I started a little franchise. And uh, I think the energy for me going in and explaining to people why we were doing is because I'm trying to help our family, trying to create some, some, some income just to put bread and, and milk or eggs on the table to help my parents. And people were like, oh, man, son, you, that's such a good thing to do. And I think from that point onwards, it was like, Whatever I want, I know I've got to protrude energy and excellence and, and, and passion. And, and when I walk into a room, before people even know who I am, I want them to go, dude, who are you? Who are you? Why are you here? And then from there, then I can tell them exactly what I want. So I think that just comes from survival. That's all. So in life, the cards were kind of stacked against you right from the start. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally stacked. I mean, where I live, it was one of those places where people would drive 
through the neighborhood and then they, they wouldn't want to get out their car. They just want to go exactly to where they need to go and get out. Like street lights come on, you know, you better be in the house because the gunshots were going on. And my mother would give me the biggest hugs before I went to school because she knew the possibility that maybe uh, I wouldn't come home because the police might pick me up just for being black or I could get shot or thought to be in a gang. It was just every day was survival. But I just knew that if I could just get through one day, there was going to be another day Mm. and another day and another day. And what I found was that I began to build up these, these habits of always thinking about what can I do today that I didn't do yesterday is going to make me better tomorrow? It was almost like a self-reflection every night. Okay, right. Okay. Did I get the results that I wanted today? No. Why not? Okay, well, then I better go back tomorrow and do some things differently. And, you know, Steve, being Black and living in South Central Los Angeles in those early years, I never imagined, I never dreamed that there was anything else outside my neighborhood or outside Los Angeles. and when I got in high school and we started playing basketball and we started driving out to these other places, Orange County or Anaheim or places where, you know, there was predominantly white, I started to see, wow, there's a big world out there. I want some of that. How can this brother get into some of that? So I started to observe the habits of successful people. And I realized discipline, focus, vision, drive, thinking outside the square, reducing negativity around you. That was the ticket. That was the the pillars that I had to adopt in my life if I was going to get out of the hood and do something with my life. Because I knew that there was a reason for me wanting to be successful. It wasn't the cars. It wasn't the flash. It wasn't any of that. It was the fact that two individuals took a chance on me, gave up everything to give me an opportunity to shine. I want to one day be that guy on the other end of the phone when they call and say, can you give us some help? I want to be able to say, got you. No problem. I'm on it. I didn't want to be that guy that had to say, oh, look, mom, I'm sorry. Uh, paycheck was down, didn't make it or, hey, just got out of jail or, or look, I, I just can't help you. So that drove me. My why for success was about helping those two people who gave me a shot at life. And that's the way I I take that into every presentation that I go into now. I'll tell you a little story. Two weeks ago, I was in, in the city in Brisbane at McInnes Lawyers, and I was doing a talk, and it was supposed to be on Queensland Mental Health Week. And I went in, and, and uh, the CEO, she came and she goes, hey, Eric, I've seen you online. I've seen your videos. I, look, I just want to tell you, I, I don't want to be negative. I said, come on, baby, what, what you got? What you got? She goes, well, we're, we're lawyers. We're very conservative. There's a high probability that the engagement, the interaction is going to be very low. Like they will enjoy it, but they just won't give you what I've seen on your videos. I was like, thank you so much for telling me that. I said, you've just now presented me with my number one challenge. I says, uh, five minutes. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I guarantee within five minutes, I'll have them on their feet. They'll be talking to each other. There'll be so much noise in here that you will probably have to tell them to turn it down. She goes, oh, okay. well, I love your optimism. (laughs) Steve, two minutes, baby. Two minutes. Two minutes. I had them up. And the question I asked them was this. 
If there was something that you could do in your life and you knew that you could not lose, no matter what you knew you was going to win, what would that be? And how would it make you feel? And what could you do with that feeling and that result to help somebody else? Oh, my goodness. And I said, and at the end of it, give that person 25 high fives and tell them something that you're grateful for. And from that moment onwards, it was on. It was on. So the passion, the intensity, the rawness, the trying to get people to find that happy place. That's what I bring to every room, every boardroom, every audience, everywhere I go. Tell me, what did that lady say to you after the session? Oh, so afterwards, I actually used her in my clothes. And I said, so thank you guys for having me. You know, I went over my three bullet points and I said, and every once in a while, even though I don't play professional sport anymore, I like to get challenged. And I was challenged from the start that just maybe you guys wouldn't go on this emotional roller coaster with me and, and, and go on the journey with me. And I said, how many of these people right now are feeling much better, more engaged, more enthusiastic than how you felt when you walked in the room? Everybody put their hands up and I looked over at her and I was like, yo, what's up with that? And she just she just smiled. She just smiled. So yeah, there's an element of competition in everything that I do. I I push myself to go further than what's expected. It's a perfect example that of limited thinking in organizations. Yeah. When you've got people in an organization that are going, oh, look, these guys, they'll be entertained, but they're probably not going to show it outwardly and stuff like that. It actually then prompts leaders in organizations to that to go, oh, wow, we've been thinking about this different. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of organizations that I end up working with off the back of a two-hour deep dive uh, in the boardroom with the CEO, the general manager, and the sales team. They'll sit down and they'll tell me all the things that they feel that they need to work on, they need to improve. And uh, I was throwing a couple, oh, no, 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 that's just fine. Oh, no, 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 we're good with that. And then I have my first session and I do, do a, a, a briefing with them. And then they talk to people who were in the session and they come, oh, we didn't know this and we didn't know that. It's because I allow people to feel as if they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And if they can express themselves in a truthful and honest way, they then can now walk through that and feel as if they're being heard and they, and they can be original and they can step up. So uh, you're, you're so right there with the limited thinking. Eric, your basketball journey, where did that start? I guess it was probably at a point in my life when I was searching for, for something. There were, there were a couple of avenues that I could go down. There was, I was 14 years of age and there was the, there was the drug the drug range, there was the, the gangs, there was internet, entertainment, basketball, or really trying to make it in studying. And I wasn't really good at reading. I wasn't a really good student. My father had always told me that if I joined a gang or do drugs, that when I came home, all of my stuff would be on the porch and he wouldn't let me in the house. So that scared me. And so basketball was something that had interest to me, but because of my knees, I just didn't feel like I could do that. And, you know, I got an opportunity to, to play in a game. And in this one game, my first game, the coach just said, hey, you're tall. Get on the court and see what you can do. And I was, I was 14 and my knees were aching. And, you know, I had a knee brace on. He said, take the knee brace on and just get out there and play. 
And at the end of the game, he ran up to me and you know, he, was, he was a little white dude. And he was like, he was white, but after the game, like he was like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Like he was almost invisible. And he was talking. And because so, I picked him up and I was like, what are you saying? He said, you just scored 73 points. You broke a California school record. I said, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to break the record. Can, can we fix the record? Can we put the record back together? He was like, <laughs> no, no. He said, you don't understand. I was like, what? He said, if you could do that in your first game. You don't know the rules. You don't know the plays. You're not in shape. You, you're not eating right. You, you don't have all the things that you need to be a, a competent basketball player. Imagine what you could do if you commit it. And I said, uh, you know, I said, thanks a lot, coach. I'm happy that you're interested in me. My knees are really hurting. I live three busways away. Like, there's no way I'd get to school on time. What time is practice? And he said, well, practice is at 5 a.m. And I said, listen, dude, are you on drugs? 5 a.m.? Me at 5? He says, listen. He said, I'll make you a promise. I was like, what? He said, if you get yourself to school at 5 a.m. every morning, I will guarantee you that I will take you home at 7 p.m. every night. And I said, 7 p.m.? He said, yes, because our days are full. He says, from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, after school, the team goes into the library and we're going to do everything we can to help you get your grades up so you can get into university. And then from five to about 630, we practice. I say, coach, thank you. I says, but you being a white guy, you're not going to be safe driving your car into the hood at 730, eight o'clock at night. And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to commit to making sure I do everything in my power to give you a shot at basketball, college, and life after. He said, the only way I would do that is if you commit to give 100%. And through his sacrifice, mentoring, his patience, I was able to go to a junior college for two years, which is like a TAFE. And then I ended up going to Boise State University and becoming a semi-basketball star. And that's how that's how it started. So it just seems like in my life, I've been given these lifelines, adoption, basketball coach, people who didn't know me, who didn't feel like I really wasn't family. But it also created a sense of give back. It created a sense of I understand what a real good mentor and a coach will do, what, what leadership is all about. And funny enough, every team that was on, every basketball team I was on, I was voted captain. Every team. And it wasn't because I was a rah-rah, tell you what to do. It was like, first one to practice, last one to leave. I would get the guys over to my house for breakfast or lunch or dinner. I was organized this team. It was almost like I knew that what I needed to do to help us win was to make sure that everybody felt inclusive and as if they were part of something that was going to be different in life. Yeah, that's awesome. When it came to basketball, what mentors or role models did you have? I got a chance to play against a guy by the name of Marcus Johnson in the NBA when I was 16. I was at a like a pickup game and he went to UCLA, but he was a, an NBA player. And afterwards he came over to me and he's, he told me I had talent and he gave me a ride home. And I was like, whoa, that, that was amazing. 
Uh, I got a chance to play against Magic Johnson in a, in a preseason game and found the experience exhilarating because I watched him and I watched all his movements. I watched how passionate he was about the game. And as I began my basketball journey, I would always gravitate to players who not only were good players, but were also good human beings who seemed to always want to do the right thing and, and, mm. and help those who were maybe left behind. And those are the kind of people who I was sort of gravitated to. And then you played pro basketball in Australia. Man, this is a crazy story. Absolute crazy story. So I love crazy stories. Okay, crazy story. I, um, I got cut by the Portland Trailblazers, so I just wasn't good enough. And I tried out for five other NBA teams. And I found myself in New York City in a bed feeling like, okay, it's over. That's it. You know, I'm not going to make the NBA. This was 1982. And I was laying in bed. The phone was ringing. And I picked up the phone. The voice said, good day, mate. How are you going? 1982. No one used the word mate particularly to a brother in <laughs> South Central LA. I was like, oh, come on, dog. I said, no, no, I'm not your mate. So I hung the phone up. So five minutes later, called back. And he says, listen, I know you're upset, disappointed. We've been following your progress. We're calling to offer you a chance to play professional basketball. And I was thinking, like, where are you calling from? You, uh, Houston Rockets, Denver Nuggets, Lakers, Seattle Super. Like, I said, don't tease me. He says, mate. I said, Let's don't call me mate. Just call me brother or Eric. He says, we're calling from Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. I said, Hobart, Tasmania. I said, where is Hobart, Tasmania? He says, all you need to know is that Hobart, Tasmania is exactly like Hawaii. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's an island surrounded by water. We got a basketball team. We want you to come and be our star in our league, which is the NBL. And this was, I think the NBL had only been around for two years. So I was going to be a pioneer in Hawaii of another country. Come on, man. You know what went through my mind? Beaches, palm trees, sun. He told me I was coming over in December, which was their summertime. I was like, you know what? Got to go. Got to go. In 1982, there was no sun in Hobart. There was no beach. It was cold. It was wet. There was two television channels. Man, it was it was tough. That was my exposure to uh, to Hobart, Tasmania. However, I did eventually find that Hawaii, which happened to be the Gold Coast and Brisbane. But it took uh, 13 years for me to get there. So I played for the Hobart Devils and the Melbourne Tigers. And then eventually made my way to uh, the Gold Coast Rollers. How was the experience of playing NBL in those years? Uh, look, it, it, it was challenging. We only practiced twice a week. People smoked in the, in the stand. The coach would smoke on the bench during the game. It was very primitive. It was very, 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 very primitive. Like it, was, it took me a while to get used to it. But as, as time got on, things got better. So, yeah, it was, it was different. It was different. Let's say that. Very different to what they do today, hey? And even in payment, I'm sure. Oh, payment. Oh, pay, yeah. Don't even talk about So I had to work full-time job. I had to train in the morning in the gym. Had to play in other leagues to supplement my income. And then we would play on the weekends. And sometimes we'd have three games on the weekend. We'd play Perth and Adelaide back-to-back. The travel was tough. Afternoon games. You didn't have your own room. Sometimes it was three players in a room. 
Yeah, it was, it was hardcore. Absolutely hardcore. What were some of your favorite players you played against in the NBL? Played with Andrew Gaze. Back in the day, James Crawford, Cal Bruton, Leroy Loggins, Andre Moore. Yeah, Shane Hill. Like it was there, Mike Mitchell. Played with Mike Mitchell and Andre LaFoy. Yeah, there was some. Oh, Dwayne McLean, Bruce Bowden. Yeah, there, there was some definite all-stars. Yes. Played against Luke Longley. Yeah. Some definite Australian legends there. Yeah, for sure. And really, when you mention some of those names, you know, Leroy Loggins, Shane Hill, Andrew Gaze, these guys really... You've got to credit where basketball is today back to them. Yeah. Because they really brought it to the Australian community and really kind of lifted that profile. Yeah, that that but that's where it's all started for. And it, and it's a shame now that a lot of those guys aren't being credited, you know, aren't given an opportunity to be involved in a high level, to pass the torch on, to be used for their knowledge and their wisdom. It's it, it's like it's a real shame. But anyway, you know, that's that's the way that's the way sport is now. Sport today seems to be more about clicks and likes. The, the social media side of how popular you are generates generates your income. And that's the way that's the way sports going now. It's the way life is really, isn't it? Now society as a as a whole. Yeah, true. Yeah. How did you adjust to life after basketball? You know, it was it was one of those things that so I had I had nine knee operations in my knees uh, during my playing career. And at the end of my career, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I, I, I always knew I wanted to inspire people, but I didn't know how. Like I wasn't a speaker. So I started coaching under 10s, under 12s, I once Queensland titles. And then I was asked to, by Nike to come and speak at at an event. And I went and I spoke at this event and they said, hey, you know what, that's really good. We'd like to maybe use you more frequently. And I was like, fine. And then Foot Locker jumped on board and said, listen, we'd like for you to speak. I'm like, okay. And then Coca-Cola and a lot of these brands that was associated with the sports industry found that my story about sport and life was encouraging and motivating. So that's how it started. And then next thing you know, other companies not involved, like Remax or uh, Toshiba and, and other companies got involved. And that's that's how it started with my speaking. And I just decided, you know what, I wanted to take my speaking and turn that into a business because it allows me to, to inspire, it allows me to still speak and travel and have a lifestyle. Now, through your journey of basketball and through your journey of speaking and traveling around the world, who are some of the people that have kind of left the most impression on you? I'd have to say Sir Richard Branson. In 2009 or 2010, I was speaking in, in Melbourne. And after the event, I sort of was at the airport. And there were some people from the, from the event at the airport. And we were talking. And, and then I decided that I'd have a little conversation with him. I was walking outside. And somebody asked me, so, you know, what, what's your big plans? And I was like, you know what? I'm throwing it out there. I said, you know, I'll, I, want, I want to get on the stage and I want, I want to travel the world. I want, and I want to speak with, travel the world with Les Brown or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I, I want to be at the big events. And uh, a week later, I was speaking and I was waiting for a taxi. And someone saw me and goes, oh, wow, that's Eric Bailey. I can hear him. Eric Bailey. Can't, Eric. You know, we heard you speak a month ago. Can we have your autograph? And I said, sure. 
And then they said, oh, we, we think you must be in the wrong line. I was like, what do you mean? Oh, the, the, these are just regular taxis. The, the, the corporate cars are, are down there. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I remember hearing someone saying proximity is power. So here, if I want to, if I want to travel with the world's best, I gotta live like the world's. You know, you know what I'm saying. I, I'm not downgrading anybody for doing Uber or White Cab or whatever Yellow Cab, but you know, if I, I gotta put myself out there, so I, I walk down and the guy said, you know, "Where are you going?" I says, "Well, you know, I'm going into the city." So I jumped in this corporate car and. And my mind was thinking, man, how much is this going to cost me? Wow, what, what did I do? And so he was on the phone, and then he got off, and then he said to me, oh, you know, in this job, I get everybody. And he goes, yeah, that, that was a lady who runs events, and she was just telling me that she just, if I heard about a speaker, they just lost one of the speakers that got sick. And I was like, well, I'm a speaker. Oh, what, what do you do? And I started telling what I do. And she goes, give me a number, and I'll transfer. So anyway... The lady called me and said, no, what do you speak about? And I said, this is what I speak about. And she goes, well, we're, we're on the Gold Coast. Where do you live? And I said, oh, I live in Brisbane. And she goes, we've got this a big event. There's a thousand people coming. Is that something that you would do? Being sports background. And this was before, you know, all the Facebook. There wasn't a lot of that going on. And so she invited me to speak. And she said, listen, it's a 20 minute spot. And I went, did my thing. And afterwards, she goes, oh, that was fantastic. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sir Richard Branson's come to town to do a tour. How would you feel about you being the opening for, for those when they toured Australia? That's how it started. Wow. I believed in myself. I took a chance, spent a little bit of extra money, and the opportunity came. And that's how it started. And from that, I've been able to speak in 13 countries, almost four and a half million people I've presented in front of. And it's just been just an amazing, just amazing roller coaster ride with with speaking and small groups, big groups, you know, platforms. It's it's been, I'm blessed, man. I I, I can't complain. So did you get to meet Richard Branson? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So in the green room before before I spoke, got a chance to meet him and talk to him and asked him about entrepreneurship and picked his brains about what are some of the things that he does before he speaks or. Comes up with an idea, you know, what does he do? I did the same thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I got a chance to hang out with Jamie Foxx in the States in Miami. I was speaking there. Randy Zuckerberg, Danny Green. A lot of these entrepreneurs, I got a chance to hang out with a lot of them and talk to them about, you know, success. Like, what breeds success? What, what, are, the, what are the pillars of, of staying on top of your game and, and pushing beyond? How, how do you avoid feeling as if your idea might not be worthy? Like all those kind of things help me in my speaking. So tell me, you talk about the four key fundamentals of championship DNA. What are they? The first one I totally believe is that it has to be confidence. Confidence that you can succeed at a high level. Confidence that whatever's happened to you in your past shouldn't be a distraction and shouldn't deter you from moving forward to create something in the future. Confidence that even if things don't go according to plan, you can still make something of that. Confidence that when people look at you, you don't automatically assume they're looking at the negatives, but they could possibly be looking at the positives. And I believe that if you have the confidence into continuing to do that one thing, 
everything else sort of flows from that. The second one is you got to be committed. You got to be committed. What is commitment? I'll tell you what commitment is. My mother died in 2004 and my father was all alone in LA. And after the funeral, we were in the house and we were talking and he said, son, what am I going to do now? And I said, don't worry about it. Pack up the house and you come, you can move and live with us. He moved to Brisbane and was in 14 months, lost his toe, gained green, lost his foot and was about to lose his leg. And I remember talking to him like on a Friday evening, saying to him on Monday, we're going to have to remove your leg. And he just looked at me and he said, listen, whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. I've made it this far. As long as I have breath, I have life. I said, okay. And by the time I got home, he had passed and went back to the nursing home and to find out what happened. And he said to them right after I left, he said, listen, that boy that was just in here, he's not my blood, but we adopted him. My wife and I were my wife and I adopted him. We said, no matter what, we both can't leave him until we know that he's ready to take on the world by himself. When he came in here today to tell me that I was going to have to have my leg removed and I saw the concern and the love and the support on his face. I knew my job was over. I lost my wife. I wanted to die. I didn't want to leave my home country. I didn't know anybody in Australia, leave my home. But I knew my son wasn't ready to do life on his own. So here I am now, and I've, I truly believe that he's ready. That's commitment. Commitment was when you go further than what you ever thought was possible that you could go and you find something extra. And only then, only then when you know that the job is done, that you can say it's over. The next C is you got to compassion. You got to you got to feel for other people. You see, sometimes we meet people, particularly as leaders, and you assume that when you're leading them, that they're already where you are, that their mindset, their level of understanding, that their mental capacity, their mental clarity, their physical alertness. We, we assume that they're already where you are. And when they're not, you make them feel as if you can never, ever, ever be in a position that's going to allow them to succeed. You have to be able to meet people where they are. You have to come to their level and go on that journey with them till they get up to the speed or the place that you want them to be. Leadership is not about telling someone what to do. It's about listening and observing where they are and giving them what they need so that they can feel comfortable making those leaps. Compassion is not having judgment. Compassion is not wanting somebody to do what you want them to do because you think that they should. Compassion is about understanding that people need to be inspired by not what you say, but how you make them feel. You cool with that? Yeah, that's awesome. And the last C, the last C is the one that 
that I struggle with probably the most. Conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. And the conflict resolution that, that I want to talk about is not the conflict resolution that you have with other people. It's the one that you have with yourself. It's the voices that you have in your head about are you worthy enough? You see, I'm a motivational speaker. I travel the world. I've done this for 30 years. But I have one thing that I struggle with. Abandonment issues. It's hard for me still to grasp that two parents that brought you into the world decided that you weren't worth fighting for. So it's almost like every time negativity comes my way, and as a speaker, it's tough, man. It's tough getting 15, 20, 30 emails a week being rejected because for whatever reason. And sometimes you go, man, like I'm really good at what I do. I will I'll, I'll give your audience something they've never had before and experience. And sometimes it gets to the point where you go, man. And the voices go, well, what do you expect? Your parents, they didn't even want you. So you have to work out how can you Take yourself to a place where you can replace those negative thoughts and words with those positive affirmations. The conflict that you have with yourself, if you can master that, you can do anything. Classic example. How many people do you know have great ideas? Great, magnificent ideas. Lots. Lots. And as soon as they get excited about it, the first thing that they do is they go, oh, well, no one's ever done that before. Particularly no one in my family has done that before. Nobody in my circle group has done that before. So what do they do? They test the marketplace. They might tell the spouse, oh, don't be stupid. Don't be silly. You can't do that. Boom. You might tell your mate at the pub or at the bar or at the gym, you know, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this. Oh, come on, man. Seriously? No, you, you can't do that. You don't have the funds. You don't have the expertise. You don't have the experience. So what happens is if you haven't learned how to position your proposition statement to other people, if you haven't learned how to discount the fact that sometimes people are going to hit you with the negativity, that gets in the way. And then from that point onwards, everything that you want to do becomes just a dream. It never becomes a reality. And then what you have is you have resentment. You start looking at these people in a vein is that you can't tell them anything that you want to do for fear of what they're going to say. Hmm. And that's where the disconnect comes and the communication starts to wane. And so conflict resolution for me, I've had to work on it. I'm continuing to work on it because I know that as long as I want to stay in this industry, I have to make sure that every day, and I'm so positive, and when I'm talking to leaders and I'm talking to particularly sales staff, uh, as you know, in the real estate game, that rejection, it, it, it becomes real. It becomes really, really real. And I have to make sure that I use stories about my life, even in sport, to let people know that I've been where, where you are. But look at where I am now, thriving business, traveling the world meeting incredible people, and it's because I've mastered the art. Does it mean that I will never, ever feel that pain? No. But I won't let that pain deter me for what I need to do. 
what you were just saying then really made me think of what Les Brown says, you know, the wealthiest place on earth is the graveyard. I use that. It's one of the best things. And Wayne Dyer said something, don't die with the with the song still left in you. Yeah, that's right. It's so true because so many people test that market. They decide, oh, they have self-doubt, lack of confidence, low self-esteem. They go, no, that's a bit risky. I don't have the courage to do that. I don't have the resilience to keep pushing through those rejections. And there's inventions that would have probably pushed us further than we are in society today that are buried under the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm at the stage in my career now at 62 years of age. I got nothing to lose. I've I've got nothing to lose. Rejection to me is almost like, okay, the yes is coming. The yes is coming. It's coming. You might get 10 no's to get the one big yes. And I celebrate. I celebrate the no's and I celebrate the yeses. I truly believe that in this day and age, there are so many opportunities out there for people to accelerate their growth and accelerate their personal development. But it's almost like people get to the stage where they've particularly at, at, at my age, that they feel like they've done everything they possibly can do and there's nothing left. But I liken it to what Michael Jordan, I watched Michael Jordan, his whole career. And I always wondered, you know, how do you go from not making your high school basketball team to then becoming what I call the GOAT? And I got a firsthand look at it when I was doing some work for Fox Sports and I went to the States and I went and watched the Chicago Bull game back in the early 2000s. And I saw Michael Jordan score like 50 points. He was amazing. And after the game, he came back on the court and he did a training session with the coaches. And I had a press pass. So I got a chance to go down to the court and ask the coaches, why is he doing this? And he goes, okay. He showed me a stat sheet. And Michael Jordan took 10 free throws. He made eight and missed two. 80%. Still good. He had 40 points, 10 rebounds. And they said, well, He believes that when he's at the free throw line, it's a free shot. If you miss at the free throw line, it's not technical. It's all mindset. Lost focus. So he comes back out and he shoots 10 free throws. And if he misses a free throw, then he's going to punish himself by doing some running and doing some calisthenics and and get, get his mind right. Now, that's amazing. The best player on the team is not satisfied with 80%. So what happened during the season, other Bulls players adopted that same philosophy. And what did they do? They went on and won three championships in a row. When you have the best person in your organization doing the extras, the 1%, the 10%, not because they have to, but because they want to, what message does that send other people in the organization who aspire to be great? Greatness is not reaching and being satisfied. Greatness is about reaching and wanting to go further. And when people see the great ones doing that, that lifts the culture, that lifts the organization. And people want to come to organizations where everybody has bought into it. Yeah, that's culture. Yeah, that's good culture. Now, Eric, I want to talk to you in recent times. You've become an ambassador at Total Fusion. Tell me about that. Yes. So I guess since since COVID has arrived, I found that there's been a lot of emphasis placed on organizations trying to help their employees, their staff, other areas of their life, particularly with mental wellness, or maybe communication, building relationships at home, and maybe introducing fitness and diet. 
And I thought it would be just a really good bonus for me within my speaking is when I'm going to the organization is to be able to offer the fact that I'm a certified mental wellness first aid coach. I've done the course. And also I wanted to provide an opportunity for staff to maybe get some some workshops in health and wellness, fitness, diet, talk about sleep, time management. So I assembled a little team of other speakers who specialize in those areas and decided I really wanted to maybe have something that an organization can get their teams to go into or go into organization and offer an opportunity for staff members to come. So develop this partnership with Total Fusion. And as you know, the facilities and everything that they have is second to none. And of course, living in Springfield, I was able to be able to offer the Springfield, Ipswich, Western region, lots of posts and information and workshops on what they can do by coming to uh, coming to the gym. And so that's how the ambassadorship started. Of course, now Newstead is opening and I'm doing some work at Morningside and wherever there's a total fusion if I'm in that area. I'm going to promote and get organizations an opportunity to come in and do a tour and see exactly what Total Fusion is all about and how that mental wellness part can work in with what they want to do with their staff. Yeah, well, obviously I can speak firsthand. I was a founding member at Total Fusion Lions. And for me, with fatigue, in the early days, it was really more around that wellness and well-being, the beyond Total Fusion, which is the cold plunge and the saunas and the infrared saunas, the cryotherapy. The other day, I was in the lounge when I saw you and I had the Normatec leggings on. Yes, yes. Compression, which, so just recovery. And I remember joking to you saying, imagine if you had this back when you were playing basketball. Oh. Man, yeah, I, you know, at 62, I still might be playing, you know. But but if you notice, a lot of the NBA players, they're playing a lot, even football players, they're, they're playing a lot longer because technology mm-hmm. is now allowing players to recover and to rejuvenate and to, you know, all just all sorts of things in the body to keep longevity. So imagine what they're going to have in another 10 years. Well, and that's what the Brisbane Lions, obviously, they've got Total Fusion Lions, but their facilities in their head office there at the Lions, I remember doing the tour there and their whole basis of that is to get longevity. They know that if from a recovery, baths, all their technical analysis, all their stuff, everything that goes through the doctors, the physios, everything like that, they know it gives longevity to someone's career and it also increases their performance. And I was just blown away. Yeah. You know, I, um, funny enough, sometime I will, I will walk from my unit down to Total Fusion Line and I'll do a sauna and everything. When I'm in the sauna, I get the most insane creative ideas for my workshops. And then I'll get out and I get out my phone and I'll just start put, putting them in. It just gives me so much mental clarity just sitting in there and detoxifying. And yeah, man, I, I love it. Like, I love it. I try to sauna and, and all that wellness maybe three or four times a week. And of course, do hit the gym in the morning. So uh, for me, it's been life changing. I've, I've been able to lose kilos, tone up, feel so much lighter on my feet. Like my whole life has changed by going down there and being a part of that whole wellness movement. Yeah. And I actually find that just having a place to create clarity because it's just that stillness and that quiet. And also the connection and conversation that I have with some of the guys and the girls that are in the wellness area, 
they're all people that are wanting to improve their life. Oh. They're not they're not there. Like you're you know, when you talk about going into upskilling yourself and upping your environment, there is no better place than that because everyone that's in a wellness area yeah. is there because they want to be better. Yeah, yeah. I've met uh, three sort of general managers, CEOs sitting in the sauna. We're talking about leadership, talking about culture. And one of them is getting me to come in and do something with, with the staff. So, and, and even some of the, the ladies that are in there, like you have the conversations with them and they start talking about entrepreneurism. They're, they're coming down on their lunch hour because they just want to come for class. It's just, it just doesn't matter who's in that wellness area. It's all about being positive and make jokes about, you know, you're only in the cold water for like two minutes. You're supposed to stay at least five. It's just such a place where you can go and know that on any given time, you're going to be met there and you're going to be able to match your intellect. You're going to be able to match your passion for life and wellness. And I've never, ever experienced that in any gym that I've ever been with in my life. And you're running a, a number of business networking sessions with Total Fusion. Yes. Yes. So on December the 7th, we have our next one. It's going to be at, at Total Fusion at Alliance at Springfield. We had one earlier at Morningside and it was sold out. It, it, it was gone. Like it, we had, you had 35 people there max. So I think right now we've got 20 people already booked in and it's going to be, I'm going to be talking about, so you know, you know how uh, Tony Robbins talk about your aha moment? I'm going to be talking about your swish moment. Swish moment. Keep that in your head. I'm not going to give anything away. But it's your swish moment for 2023. And how can your swish moment propel you to have an awesome, amazing 2024? That's what I'm going to talk about. And anyone that listens to this podcast episode, obviously there'll be time to book. But if not, I know there's going to be other other events. Every month. Because they're so successful, there's going to be other events yeah. that they're going to be able to connect with Total Fusion on. Yeah. yeah. Every month we'll be running an event next year. Now, Eric, I want to ask you, Yeah, someone sitting there today, down on their luck, cards stacked against them, what advice have you got for them today? Remember why. Remember why. Every day I get up, I remember why I'm here. And because my why is not solely associated with who, who I am, my why is associated with what I can do. And no matter what industry that you're in, if you're a receptionist, if you're uh, in retail, hospitality, real estate, healthcare, manufacturing, whatever it is, you are here for a reason. You were born and you were blessed with unique set of talents. None of us are the same. And every single day, no matter what's going on in your life, you have the ability to bring that talent, that skill, that passion, that enthusiasm to the world. I totally believe that when people truly can connect with the why and understand what the purpose is, it makes it a lot easier for them not to get bogged down into the what's happening at the moment. If life isn't giving you what you want right now, if you're not getting the results in your life, that you truly, truly, truly desire, I want to say this to you. Please do not give up. Don't run away. 
Don't feel like it's hopeless because somewhere in the world, there's someone out there who would gladly trade in their what's happening to them for what's happening to you. They will gladly go, hey, man, I'll take that. I'll have that. Careful if you're listening to this right now, you have some good stuff going on in your life. If you're, if you're on a podcast, if you're watching this on YouTube, you know what I'm saying? You got headsets, you got a mobile, you've got an Android, you got a new iPhone, 50, whatever it is. You got some good stuff happening. Lean into the good stuff. Find a reason to have some gratitude and remember that only you can change the circumstances. We don't get what we want in life. We get what we work for. We get what we work for. Work is not always going to be fun. Work is not always going to be laughter. Work is taxing. To be successful, it just doesn't fall from a tree. You got to go and plant those seeds and you got to develop them and work them and watch them grow. That's what I would say to anyone out there who's listening to me right now and feeling as if maybe they just beat down. I have a saying, and that is, I was born and raised in the hood. You can take a boy out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the boy. You see, even at 63, sometimes I feel hopeless. Sometimes I feel overlooked. Sometimes I feel like I'm an outsider. And sometimes I feel a little bit depressed. I still have a little bit of that hood mentality in me, but I've learned how to keep that hood mentality in check. I don't live in the hood anymore. I live in a community that I'm, I'm flourishing in. I live in a community where I can be the best version of myself, where I can give back to my grandkids and my daughter. I live in a community where I can go out and make a difference. I can inspire and empower people around the world, whether it's on a Zoom call or whether it's in an auditorium that has 300, 500, 1,000 people, in a boardroom that has 25 people. I get a chance to coach people one-on-one and mentor them. Why do I do this? I do this because I know that tomorrow's not promised. And I'm going out swinging. I'm going out swinging each and every day. And because I'm going out swinging each and every day, I don't have time to sit around and dwell on what I don't have or dwell on what people said or dwell on perception or dwell on what negativity is coming my way. I only have time to dwell on what I'm going to do today and tomorrow to leave my legacy. That's what I say to someone out there who's feeling as if the hood mentality has got them down. I feel like I'm going to give you 25 virtual high fives, I think, Eric, because, mate, that's awesome. That's what I do. That's that's what I do. And, you know, I, look, I, I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. It's, it gets tough sometimes. Mm. You know, when you know you have so much to give, you know that you can change lives. You know that you can empower. And sometimes other people can't see that in you. And you've got to fight each and every day. And that's my industry. That, that's what I do. But I know once I get there and I make a difference and I walk away feeling like, you know what? Before the day is over, you're going to get five testimonials on Instagram or LinkedIn. And it's not even an hour later. You get someone who's giving me a testimonial and telling me something about they got from the presentation or a business telling me, you know, look, I want you to come back next week and work with another part of our team. So 
I know I'm making a difference in, in lives. And uh, as long as I'm able mentally, physically, emotionally, that's what I'm going to do. I just love your energy. I, I love, this is the whole power of this podcast is I love sharing these stories, the concept, the ideas, the energy around people's stories, because everyone can learn something from everyone. Yeah. In this conversation, I think people can learn a lot. Success has obviously changed through your life. What does success mean to you today? Success for me is knowing that I'm making a better place for my grandkids. That's it. My grandkids for me, I want them to grow up in a world where they feel that no matter what they want to accomplish in life, no matter what it is, that there's going to be an open door waiting for them, not judging them by their race, their religion, not judging them by how they look, not judging them on the fact that, well, maybe you lived in this area and not in like, like whatever it is, if they're qualified, they've studied for it, they're passionate, they're energetic, that they won't be looked upon as something other as a human being who's a part of the human race. That's what I want to do. And my presentations is all about being inclusive and diversity and learning from each other, from our past, our, our differences, our experiences. And I believe that when I go in and people look at me, that a lot of times the perception is, uh, you're just a basketball player. Oh, uh, you're from South. You know, let, let me let me say this to you. You know, sometimes I hear this sometimes. Oh, uh, I was wondering, like, when you were a child, did you carry a gun? Did you did, did you own a gun? Uh, no. Oh, or, or 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 have you ever shot anybody? Or have you ever seen someone killed? Like, even now in 2023, there are some people who still have this perception of. If you're black, you have to be in some way a part of that culture. And I wasn't. I have to build a persona when I walk into a room. Hey, you know what? I'm Eric Bailey, the professional business person. I'm here to give you some stuff that's going to change your life. Are you cool with that? So it's almost like every day is a new day for me. I can never, ever, ever walk into a room and take anything for granted. That's why before I do any presentations, workshops, keynotes, I do a one and a half hour deep dive with the CEO to find out what are the objectives? What are the perceptions? What's going on in the organization? In your mind, how do you think I will be perceived? I want to make sure that I walk into a room, I know exactly what the thought process will likely be so that I can put an end to all of that beforehand. Sometimes I even ask people, I say, hey, guys, before I even start, what presentation do you want? You want the boring one? You want the, the, the or you want the one that's going to get you out of your seat, get you thinking, get you talk to the person next to you? What is it that you want? I said, I know which one I prefer to give, but I just want to see what you want. 99.9% of the time they go, we want option B. I said, good. I'm in the right place. I ask, and I think I know the answer to this, and I, I think I know what you're going to say. But I always ask each guest, who's been your greatest teacher in life? My father. My father was my greatest teacher for the simple fact is my father never, ever, ever finished primary school. My father was born in 1919. Slavery was still alive and well in the South. My father lived on a plantation. My father had 17 brothers and sisters. 
my father was the eldest. My father started to work in the railroad yards when he was 10 years of age. He was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day by the time he was 13 years of age. My father went to the war to fight for his country. He developed PTSD. My father physically could not have kids. When they adopted me, my father decided that he wanted to be a, a role, real role model for me. So my father went back to school at 46 years of age and got his primary school equivalency. Then he went to high school and got his high school equivalency. My father became a part of the, the racial civil rights movement. My father marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And my father sat me down after an incident where we drove from our house in California back to Louisiana, where he was from, because he wanted me to meet his family. On the way there, we were stopped by the police in Dallas, Texas. They were white and they approached the car and they took out their club and they bashed the taillights out and told my father that he was driving with the lights bashed. And they said, my father said, no, so you're wrong. They pulled him out of the car. They handcuffed him and they said, tell your wife that she's to follow us to the police station. They held him in a cell for four hours. They let us go. And my father pulled over and he said to me, son, I want you to know something. Do not judge all white people by what just happened. Sure, there will be times in your life where you will be looked upon and judged. But the most important thing that you must do is make sure that you judge people by their character and how they treat you. If you do that, you will go far in life. And I remember that every day of my life because I wanted him to know that I wasn't going to make the mistake of doing something that was going to cost me my life and the possibility of not being around long enough to help them. And even today, Steve, there have been times when I've sat in boardrooms, sales meetings, and words have come back to me even today in 2022, 2023. Love your resume. Love your testimonials. But just don't think that you would be a great fit. Meaning, we want someone who looks and talks like us. And I always reply, thank you so much for your time. In the future, if you decided you might want to go a different way, always happy to come back and sit down and have a talk to you. My father taught me about tolerance. He taught me about patience. But more importantly, he taught me that every day, There'll be situations that will come that I have to remember that I was born to be a winner. And winning sometime comes at a cost. And that cost is giving up your ego and your pride. And that's why my dad was my hero. What an amazing man. Totally. Seriously, that, that is just inspiring. And, and that story, just I just want to say thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Your whole story through this episode. <laughs> I love the vulnerability. There's so much insight into your life, insight into performance, insight into teams and organizations. Eric, if people want to connect with you, how do they connect with you? Very easy. Very easy. EricBaileyGlobal.com. So easy. EricBaileyGlobal.com. And there's all sorts of book a session with Eric, follow up with Eric. 
receive a free ebook from Eric. There's so many options on the front page that you can contact me. Or if you're not a website person, just go to Eric Bailey and LinkedIn and you can find me there. Those are the two places. Or if, if any of that's difficult, Eric at EricBaileyGlobal.com. That's my email address. So simple. Eric Bailey Global. You can find me. Eric, I'm energized and I know whoever's listening to this will be energized too. Keep making a difference. Keep making your your mum and your dad proud. I know they'd be very proud. Keep living your personal best and bringing it over 60. All the time, doing my best. And I'm hoping to see you at our event on this. I think you've registered for December 7th on the event. Straight away, straight away. But I'll see you at the gym again soon. For sure. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks, brother. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast. I'll catch you on the next episode.